Hey, and welcome to the CCWC podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to be part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. Welcome to Family Fifth Sunday, and uh, hopefully when you got here, uh, you're able to find a seat. I know there's uh, some ushers in the back that um, are, uh, are still kind of getting things together. Hopefully you guys can find a seat as well, but it is nice uh, every once in a while to do this. Uh, we talked about it a couple of times uh, after the last time we got together uh, for one service and recognized we're probably getting to the end of when we can actually do this. So that being said, moving forward, when we have a Family Fifth Sunday, uh, just to keep your ears open on what the calendar will look like because it, it's likely that we'll probably go back to having two services again uh, before the dinner. But we're so glad that you could be here today. Excited about this time together. As uh, Jeff already stated, uh, we just want to connect with you and love to be able to, to do so. If you have questions about any of the announcements he shared or anything else in the bulletin, you're always welcome to contact our church office throughout the week or you can stop by the information center today and, uh, and talk with somebody about those details as well. Well, this morning uh, we talk about unity, which is neat because we are in a unified service together, all of us in one place. And uh, if you grew up in church, you may have experienced different times where you've seen unity demonstrated, unity lived out. Um, perhaps you've seen unity in other aspects, in other places, maybe at the workplace or in your home, uh, sports team or uh, in a club or a band or orchestra or, or choir. You've seen unifying acts where people come together uh, for one specific reason or another. I was still a young boy when I witnessed uh, unity for the first time within the context of a church, a unifying initiative that took place in the church that I grew up in. It was a small country church, and uh, often we would sing songs like we did today, uh, the hymns that we sang today on a Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. And as time went on within this context of this church, the Holy Spirit was continuing to bless, and he blessed in many different ways. One of those ways was numerically. More and more people were coming to the church. And God put it upon the heart of the pastor and of the leadership there that it was time to, to build a new building and to, uh, to begin to uh, recognize that God was calling them to a new day. And as they stepped forward in this unifying effort together, it was apparent quickly that God was in this. He was driving this. This was the direction that he wanted for, uh, for this church. In fact, one of the things that specifically sparked a lot of unifying, uh, uh, a lot of unity together, but a unifying effort together was something called Match This by Faith. And in essence, this Match This by Faith initiative was one where uh, an individual from the church said, I'm going to give a certain amount of money, and if somebody will match this, uh, or somebody will give this much, I will match that much, uh, that total. And more of these came out. We even saw these within the youth ministry and even the children's ministry. Kids were bringing a certain amount of money and saying, hey, we want to match this. And certainly there are many different ways that we could demonstrate or we could show uh, examples of unity or unifying efforts within the context of the church. But this is one physical, literal one that I remember. And I remember it so much because I recognize that there were places where people disagreed. There were things that people disagreed on, whether it be the color of carpet or maybe the, the, the area to which the, the church was going to move. There were things that were small, things that were large. But in all of it, there was a unifying effort to, to, to zero in on what was most important. If you read much in the scriptures, particularly in Paul's letters, he'll talk directly and specifically about the way that we as the church are to live unified. We're to live in a way where we are in one heart of one mind, of one body, of one spirit. 
And as we read about that, and as you understand that, sometimes you look at it and you say, well, that means we all have to agree on everything. Or you might jump to the conclusion that there's specific things that we need to all do, or we need to all subscribe to. We need to, to, to shed our individualism and do this exact thing. Well, that's not what Paul's saying at all. That's not what the Spirit is implying at all. Instead, there are things that we do land on, but there's also places where we can disagree, or we don't always have to see specifically eye to eye. This building up of God's church that I saw when I was younger was a a literal and a figurative example of what it means to work together in unity. Highlighting and majoring on the majors, the things that are most important, and then also allowing things that are there, obviously that you might disagree on, to not be dividers or divisive things within the context of the church body. If you have your bulletin today and you are typically not in this service, there's a place at the bottom of the bulletin on the back where the notes are where you can get involved. Everybody can do this. If you're artistic, you can do it as well. But if you're one of the children in the room and you would like to, grab a pen or ask mom or dad if they've got a pen or a pencil in their purse. And I want you to just take a minute to draw or take as much time as you need to draw what you think a unifying effort, what biblical unity looks like. And as I speak, you may hear some things that you can imply that can be applied to that. But I want you to take a minute to just draw that as you go. When you're done today, when you're done, if, if you're a child, adults, I'm sorry, you don't need not apply. If you're a child, I want you to go to the information center, make sure you turn yours in, write it down, and I'm going to make sure you get a prize sometime next week. All right, so make sure that you turn that into the information center. This week we do shift from embracing how one grows in their faith and their holiness uh, within the context of family to how one does so within the context of the local church. And I said the last couple of weeks we talked about family at home. We also talked about family at church. Today we're going to talk directly about our family at church. And towards church, this is the eighth guide to help in holy living. I'm going to read it. It works like this. To work together for the advancement of God's kingdom for mutual edification of the fellowship of believers in holiness, knowledge, and love, to walk together in Christian fellowship by giving and receiving counsel with gentleness and affection, by praying for each other, by helping each other in sickness and distress, and by demonstrating love, purity, and courtesy to all. This is the third week specifically that we're going to look directly at. We're going to investigate one of Paul's letters to one of the churches that he was writing to. And the primary passage we're going to look at specifically today is his letter, a portion of his letter that he wrote to the church in Ephesus. For he saw the division that was taking place. He saw the issues they were walking through. And so he reached out in this letter form to be able to say, look, there is a better way. There's an intended way. There's a way that God has called us to live. And so if you want to follow along, I'm going to read from the NIV, the New International Version today, chapter four from the the book of Ephesians. It'll also be on the screen. You can open your Bible or you can pull it up on your smart device if you'd like to as well. We're going to work through a few verses at a time, and then we're going to look at how these things specifically apply. Sound good? All right, you're still awake. All right, let's do it. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. 
And so Paul sets the table here as we talk about this concept of spiritual maturity and unity with the recognition that we have been chosen by God and called his representatives. When we step forward into this understanding of being a follower, a Christ follower of Jesus, we step into this relationship with the church. Because you don't just ask God to be your father, you also, when you engage in that, you ask everyone else within the context of his family to be your brothers and sisters. And so, you know, sometimes you hear people say at a wedding, you know, I'm not losing a daughter, I'm gaining a son or vice versa, right? You hear that sometimes. Well, this is accurate here too. You're, you're not just stepping in and saying, I'm gaining a new father. And that's it. No, you're also gaining a new family. And so within the context of that family, Paul likens that to the body and this recognition that everybody can see. There's, a, there's, a, there's an, a physical application, a physical illustration of what it means to be part of God's family, and that is how the body operates, how our physical bodies operate as, they, as, it, as it were. Unity doesn't just happen, though, and you probably know this too. You see a child as they begin to walk the first time, they start to figure out how the body functions together, how they move their feet and their arms, how they balance, how they see things, how they hear things. And specifically in our lives, as we grow physically, we begin to learn and do new things. But we have to learn it. It doesn't happen by accident. Unity doesn't happen by accident. It doesn't just happen within our lives. The sad thing is that oftentimes believers are separated or often separated by minor differences in doctrine. You see all the different denominations out there. I'm a believer, a firm believer that if you're a Christ follower, you're going to heaven. And there's not going to be sections up there for each denomination. Now, certainly I I love the Wesleyan church. I love our church. But I recognize when we get to heaven, everybody's going to be there. And we can work together now and we can be together in heaven as well. But there's areas, certainly, that Christians must agree on. So while we may not agree on some small doctrinal issues or small doctrinal things, there are places that we embrace together in unity, and Paul describes those. He says, look, let the petty things, the petty differences fade away and focus on what matters most. Instead of concentrating on what divides us, today we're going to walk specifically to begin with through a chart uh, to discover what is intended for us to be united on as believers, the oneness of all believers. And so I'm going to walk through these. If you're a note taker, we're going to start right here. So the first one is this. Believers are one in body. One in body. Our unity is experienced, the fellowship of believers, the church. So the, the body together, the believers together. This is cooperativeness. This is companionship. This is communion. If you come here often, or if you come here regularly, you recognize that we uh, facilitate a, the Lord's Supper or uh, Eucharist or communion, uh, typically one time the first Sunday of the month. And when we do that, one of the things that we're embracing together is a communal act where we all come together to experience, and once again, in remembrance, we celebrate God's sacrifice, his gift and his sacrifice through the person of Jesus. And so as we directly focus on and reflect upon this understanding of what communion is, we recognize that when we come together as a body, we don't do so because we have like interests. We don't do so because this is the church that's closest to our house, or this is where my parents grew up. We don't do so because we even all believe the same doctrinal things. We do so because Christ united us through his sacrifice. We are one body because of his one body and sacrifice. And so the reality is for you and I is it doesn't even really matter what things we're divided on. I could imagine right now if I were to ask people to raise their hand for any sports team that's out there, there's probably a sports fan for everybody in the room, even the Browns, right? (laughs) 
Somebody likes every sports team. But guess what? That doesn't matter. The thing that unites us is Christ. The second one is this. Believers are one in spirit. They're one in spirit. This is, this is experienced through the Holy Spirit who initiates fellowship. Get this. You and I can do nothing outside of the power of God. We can do nothing outside of the power and the provision and the presence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives us power and ability. The one who gives us understanding. Have you ever heard the phrase before grace, before grace? Anybody ever heard that? To receive grace before grace? What that means is the Holy Spirit is acting in a way where we are too ignorant to understand or to know the will, the heart, the voice of God. And so the Holy Spirit is that liaison, that go-between. He's the operator that connects us to God, that allows us to be able to speak the same languages of God before we even know him through giving our heart and our life to him. And so the Holy Spirit, he, he embraces and he engages in a way to be able to give us the opportunity to connect with the Holy God, even though we are still sinners. And that might be before a prayer or a heart change or a transformation, whatever that is. But before we come to Christ or before we come to God, the Holy Spirit is able to, to, to somehow connect the lines so that we might experience goodness and embrace the God who created us. Believers are one in hope. Believers are one in, in, in hope. And this is played out through the glorious future of which we are all called. If you don't know this already, I'm going to tell you right now. When it comes to the world, when it comes to the end story, that this, this, this whole journey that we're on as human beings, I can just tell you right now, God wins. That's the ending. You know, from time to time, I like to watch an old football game. And I'll, I'll, I'll watch Ohio State from time to time. In fact, sometimes I watch the 2002, if you're a Buckeye fan, you know this game, the 2002 championship game against Miami. And in this game, it went into double overtime. There were different calls and different things. All this stuff happened. And there are times when it is very bleak. And 20-some years later, I watch it again, and I think, man, I don't know how we're going to pull this out. <laughs> Can I tell you? Because of the fact that I know who wins, there's hope. <laughs> because of the fact that we know spiritually who wins, there's hope. And so whatever issue you're walking through, when Jeff was talking earlier and specifically embracing the fact that there are some here today that probably are walking through a very difficult storm, a dry time in your life, can I tell you, we know who wins. There is hope for you. Don't be discouraged. Don't allow Satan to get a foothold. Don't be, don't minor, major on the minors. Don't allow these small divisions in your life and your family and your relationships to be the thing that, that, that is your demise, but instead be reminded, be encouraged be filled with hope because we know who wins. We're united in the Lord. We're united in the Lord, Christ to whom we all belong. Same leader, same savior, same sacrifice, same Messiah. Hear this quote from A.W. Tozer of The Pursuit of God. It says this, Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? They don't, have to be, they don't have to all be specifically uh, tuned to, to, to next to each other, but they're all tuned together. If they're tuned to the same fork, they are, they are of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but another standard to which each one individually bows. So if that fork is the tuner, they're all tuned together. If we are all tuned by the Spirit, doesn't matter anything else, we're tuned in one Spirit. So 100 worshipers meeting together, each one looking away to Christ, are in a heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be. 
where they become unity, conscious, and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. And here's the reality of that. When we look specifically what Tozer is trying to say here is earlier when we were all singing, and some of us were probably out of key, right? Just a little bit. We were all singing the same song. We were all singing the same heart song towards the Father, the Creator, towards the Son, the sacrifice, towards the Spirit, the power, the embracer. And you think about that for just a moment. It doesn't matter where we came from. It doesn't matter what your last name is. It doesn't matter what your church attendance is or what, what you know about Scripture. What does matter is that we all were striving towards the same Father in heaven. And the reality of that is because of God's creation and because of his sacrifice and because of his gift of Jesus, we're all on the same page. We experience hope and we experience unity through faith. Faith, our singular commitment to Christ. Christ is, in essence, our one and only. He's not one of many. He's our one and only. And while we live in a community, in a society of options, and there are options everywhere, right? What do you want for breakfast? What, well, I don't know, cereal. What kind of cereal? I don't know, this kind. Okay, what kind of milk do you want? There are options all over the place. You probably made a thousand decisions before you got here today. Some conscious some of you tried on 30 outfits before you got here today. Anybody want to admit that? I mean, it, we didn't start till 1030. You had plenty of time to try on outfits today. But can I tell you, Christ is not just another outfit in the closet. Christ is the one and only. We're united in baptism. And here specifically, as Paul is talking, he's referring to water baptism and what it represents. We're united in, in baptism. The baptism is the sign of entry into the church. This outward sign of an inward work. Specifically here, we are recognizing that, that the imagery of it, one, is that we're being, we're being plunged into the grave. We're being laid to rest with Christ only to come back out. We're cleansed through the water just as Christ would do through his, his power, through his provision. And at the same time, we're proclaiming to anyone who sees us, anyone who hears of it, that look, I am a follower of Jesus. What does baptism do? essentially magically nothing. But what does it what represent? It represents everything. And we as the church recognize that this is an opportunity within the context of baptism to reveal our unity together. And then finally, we're unified through God. God our Father who keeps us for eternity. God the Father who is in all things, who created all things, who loves all the creator, the ultimate authority. When I think about God, the creator, the, the, the authority of all, I think specifically about God's interaction with Moses, right? There's, there's times throughout scripture that we see this phrase used, and Moses was the first recipient of this phrase, where he's talking to God, he's asking him specific questions, he's interacting with him, and finally God says, okay, here's what I want you to do, and he's questioning, well, by whom's authority do I do this? And God, instead of saying, okay, here's the long laundry list of all the things that I've done, he just says, I am, right? And I'm reminded specifically of the times when I was younger, and perhaps you've heard this before. I know that I mentioned it one other time. The times when I was younger when, you know, you have the, all these questions of mom and dad, and then finally they get to a point where they say, because I said so, right? <laughs> and what that indicates is they are the ultimate authority. Well, God says the same thing. Look, I am. I want you to know I am the ultimate authority. I am present. I am here. I have created you. I know the path. I know who wins, and so do you. 
And so we are united under God, not because he is some subservient God out there that's serving someone else. We're united under him because he is the authority. And no matter what anyone else says, what anyone else believes, whatever what the world preaches, God is the authority, the one and only. The core of because I said so. I am. The amazing thing about all this is that the Holy Spirit leads us, but he's also willing to let us, as we are led, do our part as peacemakers. As the passage continues, picking up in verse 7, it reads like this, But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. So while he was... He was doing these works. He was also at the same time granting gifts to each one. Picking up in verse 9, it says, What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? And here the, the recognition, there's, there's much speculation, but the, the, the earthly recognition is that he came to earth. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in faith and in knowledge of the Lord, of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And so the oneness of Christ does not destroy our individuality, but instead it reveals that God has granted us as body parts to be able to use our time, our talent, our treasure, our unique gifting to be able to glorify him and to unify and to edify the church. He gives us these uniqueness, unique abilities because he loves us. But oftentimes what happens, and probably you recognize this too, is when somebody has gifts or talents or abilities, sometimes there's a, a, a tendency or sometimes there's a bend towards using those for, for, for self-promotion or for, for uh, such things that would point the finger back towards self. The question to ask here, specifically as we look at unity and spiritual maturity, is this recognition of, of using God's gifts for self. And there's questions you can ask for that. Certainly there's questions you can ask to kind of reflect upon that. And I, I do believe that reflection is still a, a spiritual gift that we have and a, a spiritual um, uh, discipline that we have that we can use to try to grow and to, to, to look at our own motives. You know, when we look specifically at the gifts that we have and the things that we do, ask the question, do I, do I need a thank you? Am I doing this so that people will give me a thank you and recognition? You might ask as you grow in your maturity, is this something that if I didn't post it on social media that I did it, that I wouldn't do it at all? Maybe you ask, does, does, does everyone need to know that the thing that I'm doing or the thing that we're doing as a group is my idea? Or perhaps this one, if, if you weren't getting credit for the gift that you give or the action that you do, would you do it at all? You know, I asked this question. So if you were going to give a gift to the church, right, or to a missions organization, but you were like, I'm going to give cash instead of a check, and if I give cash, no one will know it came from me, would you still give it? Well, these are questions to ask in reflection of whether or not you are using the gifts that God has given you to glorify him or to glorify self. See, God's given his church some amazing responsibilities, but he doesn't just want us to do things. He wants us to grow spiritually, internally. He wants us to know him and grow in him in this understanding of what it means to glorify our God. 
The amazing responsibility and blessings that we have as disciples to to make disciples of all nations, though, is not just, and I'm going to say this to you right now, it's not just for me. It's not just for the elected leaders of the church or the staff. It's not just for the ushers that serve or those that are, that are up front that sing. Instead, it's for all of us. And, and here's the, the reality of it. I want to read from verse 11 right here. Because sometimes what happens is we read uh, the text specifically in English, unless any of you know much about New Testament Greek. But you read it in English. And when you read it in English, you read it in the way that it has been translated. But sometimes through the context of translating from one language to another, things might be lost or misconstrued. In verse 11, it reads like this. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. And then there you see a comma. And that's where you take a breath, right? So you're reading and then pause for a minute. And I had a, a, a friend that, uh, Dr. Latimer, actually, he's a professor at, at uh, OCU and he was a friend of mine. He used to talk about the, the curse of the comma in this situation. And what he's saying about this is specifically when we get to this specific passage and we read it, we take this break. What it does is it elevates the responsibility of the leadership. And at the same time, it, it lowers the responsibility of the church. I've heard this before. Maybe you've heard it or said it before. Oh, it's a pastor's job to do blank. So when we read it again, it says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the teachers, the pastors and the teachers, blank, or pause, to equip people for work of service so that the body of Christ may be built up and then it continues. Instead, what the original Greek indicated here is that there was no pause, but instead that the job is, is uh, for the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers to train the rest of the body. And acting, in, in acting in, and individually stating that with us as the body, we are better together. Each of us has gifts. We are all to, to be unleashed. The, the phrase or the, the term that I like to use here is kingdom force or the priesthood of all believers, which means that we all have a part to play in the building up of the kingdom. And so it would read like this. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers to equip, his, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. And the point is this. We are all called to build, dis, build up disciples in unity within the body of Christ. We are all called. Whether you're a parent or, or whether, you're, whether you're a sibling, maybe in here you, you have no specific granted power in your life in any place. No granted authority in your place. God has still given you opportunity to impact people within your sphere of influence. He's given you gifts and he's called you to step forward in being part of the priesthood of all believers. A kingdom force that he wants to unleash in this world. We can accomplish more together than we could ever accomplish separately. And finally, in verse 14 through 16, it reads like this. Then we will no longer be infants. Any infants in the room? I know there are. I, I, I see one right there. Youngest child award in the, in the room right now. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking of the truth and love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. 
As we read that specifically, we recognize the high call of what God's doing. He's bringing us from maturity or from infancy to maturity. And the, and the reality is that even in that process, we are still working, we're still leading, we're still growing. Three things to note from there. The first one is this, Christ is the truth. In John 14, 6, it reads, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Second, the Holy Spirit who guides the church is the spirit of truth. That's from John 16, 13. And it reads, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only that he hears and he tells you what is yet to come. And then finally, in contrast, Satan in contrast is the father of lies. John 8, 44. And it reads like this. You belong to the father, the devil, and you will carry out your father's desires. And he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When, we, when he lies, he speaks his native tongue, for he is the father of lies. As followers of Jesus, we commit to truth. And this means both with our words, we are honest. We share the truth. We, we don't tell lies. We don't expel dis, dis, any kind of uh, deception. And at the same time, we live it out. Our actions should reflect Christ's integrity. Our conduct is full of truth in every way. And so finally, that last point is this. We must be united in truth, recognizing that God's called us to this, to live, to speak, and to be our conduct. What's this look like? I want to share a, a quick example from, uh, from history. During World War II, Hitler commanded all religious groups to unite so that he could control them. Among the brethren assemblies, half complied and half refused. And those who went along with the other had a much easier time. And those who did not faced harsh persecution. And in most every family of those who resisted, Hitler's charge, someone died in a concentration camp. When the war was over, feelings of bitterness ran deeper between the groups, and there was much tension. Finally, they decided that the situation had to be healed, and so leaders from each group facilitated their own times of quiet retreat. For several days, each person spent time in prayer, examining his or her own heart in the light of Christ's commands. And then they came together. Francis Schaeffer, who told of the incident, asked a friend who was there, what did you do then? And the reply was this, we were just one. As they confessed their hostility and bitterness to God and yielded to his control, the Holy Spirit created a spirit of unity among them. Love filled their hearts and dissolved their hatred. When love prevails among believers, especially in times of strong disagreement, it presents to the world an undisputed mark of a true follower of Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes in the home, there's going to be disunity. Sometimes at the workplace, sometimes there's going to be disunity uh, at, at school or in the classrooms or in the organizations you're part of. Sometimes there's going to be disunity within the context of the church. But God calls us in all aspects, in all ways, to do just as those church leaders did, to quietly reflect upon where we sit, what we're about, what we believe, and allow the Holy Spirit to fill us, to change us, to transform us. Because can I tell you this one little secret? If there's any secret sauce in any of this, the Holy Spirit is the only one that can make the change. And typically, 
The reason he doesn't is because you or I stand in the way of what he wants to do. And so this morning, I want to just take a moment for us to pray together. Not to say that there's any disunity that I know of specifically. No one's come to me with specific things, but I know that that the evil one is always lurking. He's always spreading lies. He's always spreading rumors. He's always working actively to try to destroy, discourage, or to tear us down. So I'm going to ask you just to stand as we close. And if you feel comfortable, and perhaps the people next to you you came with, that's fine as well. But I want you just to join hands with the people next to you. And in a unified, collaborative effort, we're going to pray together. We're going to pray for God's unity, his provision, his care. We're going to pray that God would would reign supreme over all. That we would put down our agendas, we would hear his voice. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact that while you wrote this or you inspired Paul to write this so many years ago and to this specific audience that it had a purpose, it had a meaning. God, it was, it was, it was so clear. But at the same time, though, the, the packaging might be different, the setting, the culture looks different. God, the struggles are still the same. And that is that Satan is still lurking to divide and destroy. And so, God, we pray right now. I pray specifically on behalf of our church, on behalf of of this local church, God, that you would, in all aspects, in all ways, God, that you would suppress, that you would bind Satan from any attack he might have. God, I pray from each person in this room, from the infants in the room, all the way up to the elders in the room. God, that you would lead, that you would guide, that you would pour out your spirit, that you would pour out your goodness, that you would pour out your love. That, God, that we would have a a central mind of one hope, one God, one baptism, one faith. God, you are the one that makes all things new. May we, your kingdom force, your priesthood of all believers, step forward, God, not divided, but united. And not just with our, our brothers and sisters in Christ here at the Wesleyan Church, but beyond that at all churches. May we recognize your goodness, your provision, your way. God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. I thank you, Father, for Family Fifth Sunday and what it represents, this opportunity for us to come together in unity. God, we thank you for each child. We thank you for each each sibling, each parent. We thank you for, for each aunt and uncle, each grandparent in the room, each friend, each neighbor, each acquaintance, for the relationships that we are. But God, in, in most, we thank you for the head, Christ, our, our, our head of our body, head of our church and for one another as well. Thank you, God, for what you're doing. We pray that you continue to do uh, vastly more in our presence. In your son's precious and perfect and holy name that we pray. And all of us said together in one accord, amen. Amen. Let me read you this from Romans chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good, to build them up. This is God's will for you and for me. Go this week inspired. Go this week encouraged. Go this week recognizing that the word still speaks and will speak when we allow it to do so. God is good. He'll go with you. You go with him. You're dismissed. God bless you. Thank you again for spending time with us today. Thank you especially to those of you who give to CCWC. It is through your faithfulness that makes this ministry possible. 
Also, if you have any questions about today's teaching or if you want to learn more about CCWC, feel free to contact our office, check the web, or follow us on our social media platforms. If you enjoyed today's podcast, we do encourage you to take a moment to subscribe and share it with friends. Let this be a blessing to someone else that you love in your life. You're always welcome to join us on Sunday morning for worship, or until then, we'll catch you on the next one. God bless.